Thank you, Pastor Robert. You may be seated. Man, it's so good to be here back in Florida after, after two and a half years. I haven't been here for a long time. Uh, man, this building got really nice inside suddenly since the last time I was here. It's really, really good to, to be here. Thank you, Pastor Robert, for faithfully serving and the whole team here. Let's, let's put our hands together one more time for the team here at Celebration Church Orange Park. So, man, I came all the way from the Netherlands. It was a little more than eight hours. It was more like uh, nine hours for the Atlanta flight and then another hour and then a lots of long layover in Atlanta. I'm glad to be here, still in jet lag. I woke up at four o'clock in the morning this morning, so I'm a wide awake right now. And I got some great espresso. You know, I love, the, I love espresso. So I'm, I'm like pumped up. So I, I told Pastor Robert, if you want me to preach good, I need espresso. And he... Uh, you heard my plea right there. So, so thankful to be here. Um, today we're in a series called Believe, right? And I'm going to be speaking to you about the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, which is the main thing that we have to believe because it's all about the king and his kingdom, right? And, and we've seen that during worship, during some of the songs that we were singing, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Yeshua. It's all about the king of kings and lord of lords. And that's what I want to be speaking about. But before we get into that, I just want to introduce to you my wife and my kids, my, my twin boys. Right there. This is our Christmas picture from last year. They grew even more since that moment. They're 11 years old, and they love America. They were sad they couldn't come on this trip. My wife loves America. She's also sad to, be, to not be on this trip. And I just heard that in the Netherlands there's another stricter lockdown that they enforced like the last couple of days. So it feels like I'm living in freedom here in Florida. So you got to treasure that. I'm like, I, I, t I told Pastor John Scott, I don't know if you know him. I told him, I want to stay here, you know. But, I can, you know, we got some people to serve in the Netherlands, right? And uh, so, uh, so our church is in a place called Hilversum. Everybody say Hilversum. Hilversum in the Netherlands. It's, that's our building. It was built in 1922. It used to be owned by a Reformed church, and, and they basically sold it off to the city. And the city basically came to us. They had a plan, and then the plan didn't work out. And then we could use it and then buy it back in 1920, uh, uh, sorry, 2012. Our church started in 2006. Um, and we have, uh, right now we have this location, which is our main location, basically. Then we have a location in uh, a town nearby called Huizen. I'm not going to ask you to pronounce that. Don't worry. And then uh, there's, a play, there's, a, there's a new group, uh, basically like a, um, they're meeting around the table in Delft. Delft, that's, that's one of the wonderful old towns. Like, you know the Delft, Delft Blue? You know, that's from there, right? If it's not from China, it's from Delft. Uh, and then also, uh, we, have a, we have a location in Paris, Celebration Church Paris. They recently joined up with us because we're a little closer than, you know, Jacksonville, obviously. So, uh, so we're thankful to serve there as well. And who knows where the Lord might start some more churches in Europe. So be in prayer for us. We really need your prayers. Um, you know, we're, we just moved to another city, our family, and, and I'm already talking to some leaders there. It's like, you know, maybe the Lord is putting us together and uh, to, to be able to start a location in the city of Almere and other places in our country and outside of the Netherlands. The Lord wants to do something mighty in our day, that despite persecution, despite, you know, um, pandemics and lockdowns or any of those things, the Lord is building his church, right? So that's why we're here. That's why you're, you're serving here in Orange Park, and uh, that's why, you know, God's on the move. 
around the world. So anyway, so, so I, I didn't grow up in a Christian family myself. I uh, got saved back in 1995. I know you're thinking, well, weren't you just born in 1995? I look so young. No, I'm, I'm 48 years old. Yeah, you got it right there. For some of you, I'm still young. I feel old. I was like on my knees right there. I couldn't, could, could barely get up again. I'm like, where does the years go, right? So, uh, so 1995, I got saved. Um, during my studies, I was studying economics, and um, I was a pot smoker. I was a hip-hop DJ back in those days. <laughs> and, but the Lord saved me uh, from just following other gods, basically. And, and you know, he, um, I finished my studies, worked a few years, and then the Lord called me to the ministry. Studied theology in Belgium. That's where I met my wife all the way from Austria. And, um, and, you know, a couple of years later, we started the church. And um, God's been faithful all these years. He's been faithful, right? And, uh, yeah, just put your hands together. You know, he's faithful, right? So, um, so this morning, I, I want to share with you something that has basically, you know, with, with all the transitions that have happened in Celebration Church, which are good transitions, this is something that has gripped my heart. Uh, it's, a, it's a message about the gospel of the kingdom. And, you know, sometimes you, you teach things, sometimes you preach things, and then you figure out it was good. But, hey, the truth that the Lord has for us is, is a little deeper. It's a little wider. It's a little stronger than what we originally, you know, thought it would be. And to me, that's like the gospel of the kingdom. And... You know, when, I, when you talk about the gospel, I was, you know, in those years that I've been a Christian now, I always thought it was like the plan of salvation, which is important. Like the fact that we can be saved, right? The fact that we, we don't, you know, our, our, our future is with the Lord, in the presence of the Lord. And even now, right now, we can already experience it. But there's so much more than just the plan of salvation. In fact, the gospel, the kingdom, the gospel is not about us. It's about the king and his kingdom. It's all about him. That's why I love this theme of this series called Believe. So, um, so today I want to give you a little bit of a um, picture from the Old Testament, from the culture in Jesus' day, but also from the New Testament. It's like, what is the gospel of the kingdom? What is it really? And how, does, how should it change our lives? How should it change our cities, our nations? That's what, what I want to get into. So let's, let's pray, and I'm going to read from, from actually the gospel of, sorry, the, actually the fifth gospel, how they call it sometimes, which is the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. It's really interesting. Let's, let's pray. Father, we come to you, Lord. Jesus, we just want to give our whole life to you, Lord. We want to proclaim you as king, as Lord, God, there's none else like you. God, you're just amazing. And, and Father, we just want to look up to you this morning. We want to focus our eyes on you, Lord. God, be the Lord of our lives. And God, help us to get a grasp of what this message in, in your word is really about. God, that it won't be a superficial message, but a deep message that transforms our lives from the deepest of our beings. Speak to us, Lord. God, we surrender everything to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So the gospel of the kingdom 
is good news. That's what gospel really means. It's good news. I mean, there's a music style which I personally love. But the gospel is actually about the good news. And the good news about the king and his kingdom. And I want to turn with you to Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. It's one of the most wonderful verses in the Old Testament about, about Jesus. It says this. How beautiful in the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Everybody say good news. Who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. But when you read these few verses, when you talk about Zion, Zion is, is, is a hill, it's a mountain which basically stands symbolic for Jerusalem, you know, the promised land. So this is like, there's, a, there's good news being proclaimed in the Old Testament to, to the people of Israel. It's good news for them, but it's good news for us as well. And the term bringing good news, I mean, obviously the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but there was a very important Greek translation of that, which is called the Septuagint. And the Septuagint uses this word, which we find back in the New Testament as well. And here the, it's, the verb is being used, and it's, and it's oagali, man, it's, it's hard to pronounce this in English, the Greek word, oagalizo, right? This means bringing good news. Forget the Greek word, but it really says in the, in the Septuagint translation, bringing good news. Bringing good news. That's what it's about, it's, this is about. It speaks about salvation. You know, I'm not, I'm not really a Hebrew scholar, to be honest with you, but sometimes I try to go back to Hebrew, and there's some amazing resources out there. What it says, Yeshua, what it says salvation in the Hebrew, it actually says Yeshua, which is the name of Jesus. It's, a, it's crazy to see that this is already locked up in, this, in the story here in, 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 in Isaiah, that, that the name of Jesus is right there. It's like, it can't be more clear than, than, it, than it gets right here. And I love that it says, your God reigns. Your God reigns. This speaks about the reign of a king. So God is not only a God up in heaven who, you know, sometimes kind of interferes with our lives. No, God is actually our king, our heavenly king. A king who's above every other king. Your God reigns. Powerful words here in the, the book of Isaiah. So the, so the whole concept of the gospel, of the good news, isn't something that was just made up in the New Testament. This is something that just arrived on the scene when Jesus was there. This has a deep root in the Old Testament. And something that was going on for hundreds and thousands of years. Good news. Isaiah 61 kind of continues this thought. I love this, this chapter. We're actually doing our Christmas series on Isaiah chapter 61 in, back in the Netherlands. And it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me. He has basically put his oil on me. He has set me apart for a purpose. That, this is, these are the words from the Messiah really here. It's a prophetic picture of what the Messiah will be like. What Jesus will be like. To bring good news to the poor. Again, the word pops up here in the Septuagint translation. Here, not a verb version, but it's, it's a noun version of, the, of that same word. I'm wrong. Gelion, to 
to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to proclaim to, to, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. This is a prophetic picture of what Jesus will come to do. Jesus is the anointed king who, who gospels, who, who brings the good news to the poor, who brings the good news to the downtrodden, who brings the good news to those that are in the margins of society. So if, if the good news is no good news for the poor and the downtrodden, it's no good news at all. I love that. If a, if a church only preaches the gospel to the elite, it's not a real church. I love that about Celebration Church. We're a church of every stratus of society, every age group, every race, every, you know, I love that in our church as well in the Netherlands. I mean, we got 30 nationalities right there. It's a picture of what, 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 what the throne room looks like, you know, nations and tribes and tongues worshiping before the Lord. I mean, and we get to experience that today, even here in Jacksonville, even here in Orange Park. How awesome that is. Come on. Jesus brings the good news. And when Jesus quotes this passage in, in his first message, in his first sermon in, in Luke chapter 4, you know, he, he uses these words. He, he goes back to the prophet of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. In fact, he, he gets the, the scroll handed down to him right there. He, he rolls it up. He finds this passage here in Isaiah chapter 61 because he's, he's trying to make a point right here. I love it because... He, you know, it's like sometimes you, you, you see, you know, Jesus kind of not quoting something, and he's trying to make a point with not quoting something. Like Isaiah 61, it says this, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Everybody's excited about that, right? It's a year of jubilee. It's like when, 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 when deaths are forgiven, when land is given back to those who, who, who became poor, in the last 50 years, that's the type of stuff that's happening in the, in the year of the Lord's favor. And there's a, a, a like an eschatological year of God's favor that's going to happen. But then it goes on, the day of vengeance of our God. It's a day of judgment. I, I don't, you know, I don't think we as, as believers in Jesus, we have to be afraid of this. But what is so interesting is that when Jesus quotes these, this passage in Isaiah 61, he stops. He's speaking of the, the year of the Lord's favor, and then it's like, closes the scroll. They didn't have books back then. It was a scroll. He closes it. He stops right there. Mic drop. I'm not going to do this because you're, you're going to be run away. That's what's going on. And it wasn't like he forgot to read that last part of the verse. I mean, when Jesus quotes something, he does it with a purpose. When Jesus doesn't quote something, he does it with a purpose. The point he's trying to make is that at his first coming, it was a year of the Lord's favor. There was an opportunity for every single person to respond to the message of the gospel, to respond to Jesus and become part of his kingdom. And, and, and when he comes back, because Jesus is coming back, right? And I think the day we're living in today is it's closer now than ever before when he comes back, the day of judgment is going to come upon the world. But, but right now, back then when Jesus came, Luke chapter 4, and still today it's a year of the Lord's favor. 
There's still time for people to repent. There's still time to, for people to respond and, and come into his kingdom. And, and we, we can proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We can proclaim the gospel, the good news of the king and his kingdom in Orange Park around the world. And people can respond to that. And that's our job. That's our role as, as people that are submitted to the king and his kingdom. So this term, evangelizo, and evangelion, the good news, right? This term is something that is found in the Old Testament, in the Greek translation of that. But there's something that, that makes it even more interesting, even more radical. How many of you like radical stuff, right? This is real radical. In fact, in Jesus' day, like, Israel was under foreign oppression, right? It was Rome that was actually leading the charge. They were, they, they lost their independence. They had to, there were kings in place, like Herod and, and his descendants. They were like, they were puppets of the Roman regime. And there was the emperor who was actually the boss over like the whole world that, back then, that was known back then was like Rome and then a few other empires, but Rome was like the most powerful one. In the time of Jesus, when a new emperor would come and take the throne, the same term, evangelion, was used. Like when a new emperor, like Augustus, would, would, would take the throne, letters would be sent out to all the different parts of the empire, all the, all the, the ends of the empire, so that everybody would know that there's a new em emperor that, would, that, that took his throne. And hey, what you got to do when this new emperor takes his throne is you got to profess your loyalty to this emperor. There's, a, there's actually a calendar inscription. Uh, what's the year again? It's, it's from 6 BC. That's probably three years before Jesus was born, because Jesus was most likely born in the year three before Christ. It doesn't make sense, but that's what it is. I'm sorry. But in the year six before Christ, there was this calendar inscription, and it says this. I'm, I'm quoting the most important parts of this, because it's kind of, you know, interesting language. But it's from a place called Priena, which is in modern-day western Turkey, and, but it's about the, uh, the Caesar Augustus. Since providence has set the world in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior. How many of you have heard the word savior before? Right? That he might end war. In other words, peace, right? Bring peace. And arrange all things. The birthday of the God, the God Augustus. I mean, how arrogant can you be, right? was the beginning of the good tidings, was the beginning of the good news, evangelion, for the world. Those words sound familiar, right? Yeah. It's like, did, did they steal this from, you know, all the accounts about Jesus' life? No, they didn't. It, was, it predates Jesus. So maybe the gospel writers, those who wrote those four books of the Bible, those really important books of the Bible, probably the most important books of the Bible, they were trying to make a point by reusing some language that was very well known in their world and making a point that, that this new king, Jesus, is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's higher than Caesar Augustus. He's higher than any president. He's higher than any king. He's higher than any, any dictator in this world. 
That's our Jesus. That's the point they were trying to make. If you compare what's written here in this inscription, maybe you can put it back up on the screen. I think I put it, I gave it to you guys. But Yeshua's arrival and Caesar's arrival are both considered to be good news. They're both considered to be evangelion. They're both saviors. They both bring salvation. They both bring peace, right? And those who pledge allegiance to them will enjoy the benefits of their reign. The question is, who is the real king? Now, if you then go to the Gospel of Mark, you know, it, it just presents Jesus as the divine king. But we saw already that Augustus was seen as a king, in, you know, as, as, as a god in the Roman Empire. Isaiah 52, 61 presents present Jesus as a king more powerful than Augustus, with language very similar to that of the calendar inscription of Praying. Mark 1.1 says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the evangelion, of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Well, there's so much you could say about that in that passage. You know, uh, let's put it up, yeah, right here. So, so Jesus Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. I think that's one thing you learned here at Celebration Church. Christ is, in the Greek, is Christos, which is a translation of the Hebrew word Mashiach, which means Messiah. And it means anointed one. Like some oil is thrown on this, on the, on this, this person, which means that he is the king. That's what they did with kings. They anointed them. So Jesus is the Christ. He is the, he's the king. And he's also the son of God. And that was a claim they made for this Caesar Augustus as well. Like he's, he's the God. But we know that Jesus is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods. He's, he's above everything. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of the kingdom. Good news about the king and his kingdom is the gospel of Jesus, the king. That's a powerful message. The most powerful message that we can have in this world. Both the Old Testament. I don't actually like the term Old Testament. It kind of seems like it's, it's, it's faded away. It's not important anymore. You know, we believe in the whole story here at Celebration Church, right? Old Testament, New Testament, they are intertwined. They, they, they speak of the same message. Like the Old Testament kind of looks hope in the eyes and, and, and doesn't have all the details yet like laid out in the right way. The New Testament kind of presents Jesus as the hope of the Old Testament. That's really what, what it's all about. But I love the book of Zechariah, which is one of the last books in the Old Testament. And it presents God as the king. It says this, on that day living water shall flow out, of, out from Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Zion, you know, Israel, Right? Half of them to the eastern sea, half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. And you, you in Florida, you don't know what winter is. <laughs> I know what winter is. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. He'll be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one in his name, one. The Lord will be king over all the earth. What a prophetic picture of the arrival of Jesus. At his first coming, he inaugurated the kingdom. The kingdom was, is already here, but, but we're still waiting for the final fulfillment of the kingdom. Right? We're, we're waiting for Jesus' return, which, like I said earlier, is, is closer now than ever before. 
So it was God's plan from the beginning of the book, from the beginning of Genesis, that he would be king over the whole world. The problem was that humanity basically said, no, we don't want you to be our king. We don't want you to be our God. We believe the lie from the devil, from the serpent. And we basically proclaim him to be king. That's what happened. That's, what, that's the world around us that we're seeing. That's what's happening in Europe. That's what's happening in America. It's happening all over the world. That we believe the lie. We, we, we allowed him to be king rather than Jesus to be king. That Yahweh to be king. And that's why we, why we ended up in this mess. Because there's a, there's a battle between two worlds. There's a battle between two empires. There's a battle between two kingdoms. There's a battle between Satan's kingdom, Babylon, the world system that we live in, which is coming up in every different way. And it's not just the dictatorships around the world. It's, you know, even, you know, governments and, and stuff like we have in Europe or here, you know, it's, it's all the Babylon world system. It's not all bad. But it has a wrong focus, and it goes in the wrong direction in the end. And we need to go for a different kingdom. That's why we got to be careful with politics. Because in the end, you could put your hope in a president. You could put your hope in a, in a king or a queen or whatever. But we need to put our hope in Jesus, the king of kings and lord of lords. So when you go to the New Testament, you see that this kingdom is proclaimed, this kingdom is, is proclaimed to, to the world back then. I love how both John the baptizer and Jesus, you know, they were preaching this message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I love where, um, you know, and this, was even, this, was, this wasn't a new message. It wasn't like John the Baptist was the first one to invent this message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It, there were many Jewish teachers in their day that had this, uh, you know, messianic hope that in their day, uh, this Messiah would, would arrive on the scene. So there were many of those preachers in, in Israel in those days. And I love what, what John the Baptist was doing because he was, you know, he was baptizing people in the Jordan River. How many of you have been to Israel? Uh, okay, that's one part, uh, two <laughs> Three people, awesome. I encourage you to go there, to check this out for yourself. But when John the bap baptizer, when he was bapti baptizing, I'm saying baptizer because he wasn't a Baptist, right? That's something that is, you know, way later. <laughs> he was baptizing people. That's why I'm calling him the baptizer. But he was baptizing people in a place called um, Bethany beyond Jordan. Uh, in some other translation called Betabara. And this is actually on the east side of the Jordan River. And what John the Bap baptizer was, was trying to do is, is make it really graphic, make it really clear to people that, yes, they had been living in the promised land, but they were not living in the promised land at all. They were, they were living their, according to their own ways, their own ideas, their own thoughts. But they weren't faithful to Yahweh. They weren't loyal to Yahweh. So, so he basically takes those that were ready for the kingdom, he takes them across Jordan, and he says, hey, you got to re-enter the promised land. you got to make your way into the promised land one more time. Just like, like it happened in Joshua's day. you got to go through the Jordan River. 
So he, he takes them across Jordan to, to a place called Bethany beyond Jordan. And he makes them, you know, um, like, so this is east, right? So, he, so he, he lets them pass through the water. They stand on the east side of the Jordan River. And then he, he baptizes them in the river. And he makes them come up from the water again on the west side of the Jordan, which basically is the promised land side of it. And he makes them re-enter the promised land in a new way. Being fully loyal to Jesus. Being fully loyal to, well, they didn't know Jesus yet, but being fully loyal to Yahweh, right? That was the whole idea of what John the Baptizer was doing. And Jesus preached the same message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And repenting means we turn from our sins and we turn from our, uh, from our other loyalties to other kings, to other kingdoms, to, to Caesar Augustus, to the Roman Empire, to our you know, our bank accounts to our, our, our wealth and all the other things that we find trust in. And when we turn to Jesus, we turn to the King of kings and Lord of lords. That is repentance. There's radical. So that's what's going on in, 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 in John the Baptizer's day. And Jesus, I love Matthew 4.23. It says this, and he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. I love this. Pastor Robert already hinted at this, you know, early when we prayed for people, like that are going through a rough time. I believe that when the kingdom becomes manifest in a place like this or in your home, you know, as you're, as you're celebrating Shabbat and, and, and gathering around the table with your family and, and, and declaring Jesus to be king over your home through communion, like that God can do miracles. The kingdom breaks in in your home. The kingdom breaks in in a place like this when we gather together for worship, when we, when we give it all to Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. There's something supernatural taking place in our midst. Signs and wonders will follow. I believe that. We're not seeking the signs. We're not seeking the miracles. We're not seeking the healings. We're seeking Jesus. We're seeking the king. And when we seek his face, he'll show up in power. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about Pastor Robert. It's about Jesus. It's all about him. Paul, the, the, the well-known apostle who wrote a big part of the New Testament, he preaches the same message. You know, I love 2 Timothy 2 verse 8. He writes this. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus the King. Remember Jesus the Anointed One, right? Christos. Risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. He's a descendant of David. David was the king, the Israelite king. And Jesus was a descendant of his. So he is, he is king and he is Lord, he is God. He is everything, right? So the gospel is about a descendant of David, which means king. He rose from the dead. He's now enthroned as the king, sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. He's going to return as a line of Judah. He's going to return and bring judgment over everything that's not right in this world. Thank the Lord for that. Right? He's going to set everything straight. I love Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through 6. And I'm just going to read it really quickly. I, I, I want to focus in on something really powerful right here. It says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Servant. If he was a servant, if this big apostle Paul was a servant, we're called to be servants as well. But we're also called to be children of God, right? Called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. 
Right? We saw it from the book of Isaiah. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about, here it comes, the obedience of faith, the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. I love this. Here, Paul is writing to the believers in the city of Rome. That, like the, at that time, like the, the center of the Babylon world system, the center of it all, where, 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 the, where the emperor reigned. And he's saying, no, this is about Jesus, who is the, the real king. It's not about Caesar Augustus. It's not about the Roman Empire. It's not about any of the empires of this world. It's about Jesus and about him alone and, and what it. What he's asking from us is obedience of the faith. Allegiance. The Greek word for the, for the word faith in the English Bible is the word pistis. And the word pistis is a powerful, powerful world, word. It's been misconstrued in, in, in our Western, westernized form of the Christian faith. But it really is about giving it all to Jesus. It's really about being loyal to him, declaring our full allegiance to him. And when Jesus is the king of our lives, nothing else can be the king of our lives anymore. But somehow we've, we've you know, in American Christianity and, and Christianity in the Netherlands and everywhere else in the Western world, we, we kind of think that we can serve God and serve the world at the same time. We think we, we can serve Jesus and be loyal to the world system. It's not possible. It's either the one or the other. You can't serve God and mammon, Jesus says. Now, mammon is, is, is like, it's like the power of money. There's nothing wrong with money. You know, if you use it for the kingdom, it's great. But if you serve God and mommy, mammon at the same time, you, you, can't, you can't do this. You either serve one or the other. And we got to make a radical decision to follow Jesus. We may make a radical decision to put him first in our lives, seek God and his kingdom first, and everything else will be added to you. Right? I love James chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, and we're going to close with, with this. So the worship team can, you know, can already join me. James 4, verse 3 and 4 says this. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. <laughs> Here's something that you don't hear much on pulpits in the Western world. You adulterous people. <laughs> do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James here uses really strong words. He's saying like, hey, it's adultery when you say like, I'm a friend of the world and I'm a friend of, with Jesus at the same time. It's adultery. You can't say that. It's either or. You either serve God, you serve Jesus the king, or you serve the empire. The Babylon world system and, you know, and all the things that we find our security in in our day. There's nothing wrong with pension plans and, and, and insurance and all these other things that we have and bank accounts, whatever. But if, these, if they, they take the place of our faith, if they take the place of, of our loyalty to Jesus, there is something wrong with us. 
That's why Jesus said to this rich young ruler, he said, hey, uh, you know, you've, you've kept all these things. You've kept the, the whole law of Moses. Perfect. There's one thing that you lack. Sell everything that you have and give the money to the poor. Why? Because he put his trust in his wealth. He put his trust in the things that he and his family found their security in. And Jesus says, no, stop doing this. You got to be loyal to me. I got to be first in your life. And that is, I believe, what God wants to do in our day. I believe that that is the message that we've been in, in, that's been entrusted to us as Celebration Church globally. The gospel, the kingdom. A radical decision to follow Jesus, to put him first in our lives. And no longer, let, no longer be led by the world. No longer be led by anything else that we find our security in. Anything else that we think is important. Those things are not important. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Yeshua. It's all about Yahweh. It's all about the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we got to, you know, hallow him as king. Set him apart as the king of our lives, of our homes, of our families, of our businesses. And that's my call to you this morning. And maybe we could all stand up in the presence of the Lord right now. When there's a king, when there's a kingdom, the Lord is challenging us this morning to go all in with him. I don't know where you came from. I don't know where you stand in relationship to Jesus right now. But it's important to declare loyalty to him this morning, to to actually say to him, Lord, you are king over my life. You are Lord over my life. It's you and nothing else. We're going to sing the song again in just a moment. It's nothing else but him, right? And, it, and if you declare lo your loyalty to Jesus, the best thing you do is to demonstrate your loyalty through water baptism. I, I know the water is warm in the baptismal pool outside, so praise the Lord for that, right? It's, it's, water is mighty good. Probably a little cleaner than the Jordan River water. But it's up to us to make a decision. It's up to us to leave everything behind and follow him with our whole lives. I remember in the year 2019, um, we, I was going through a really rough time in our, in our church. It was really, really, I mean, the, the oppression that I was feeling in our church was like horrible. Pastor John Wyatt knows everything about it. And uh, I was here for the Awakening Revival. You know, it was Jacksonville Jaguars, like the, the um, what is it, what's the place called? You know, Daly's Place, right? We're supposed to have the Awakening Revival there. I was really looking forward to encountering the Lord there and just seeing Pastor Stovall and all the others that were there. But you know what, before it even started, I was staying with, with the, the superintendent of our, our movement in the Netherlands and as well as a friend of mine from our church who didn't have an official role at that moment yet. And, and we were staying at this house and in the morning, before everything started, it's like the Lord spoke to me in a powerful way. Um, you know, he reminded me of Matthew 13, 44. You can look it up at home and there's this... Basically, it's, it's, it's a story that Jesus tells. It's a really short story. He says, 
kingdom of heaven is like this man, and he wants to buy this piece of land, and he goes and checks it out. And he finds treasure in the ground. So what does he do? He covers it up. Covers it up. Goes back home. Sells everything he has. And buys the piece of land. That's like what the kingdom is like. And I was like super excited. I'm on, I mean, I was like, I found the kingdom. I was so happy to be a part of the Celebration Church family. And having a few other crazy people like myself around me. Like, like Pastor John Wyatt, obviously. You know, Awesome. And I was like, man, from, from, now, from now on, it's going to go uphill. Everything is going to go good. But it didn't. It got even worse for, for a season. But I was happy that I knew that I found the kingdom, that the Lord is a God who speaks very clearly. That is, he's a God who wants to speak to all of us, right? Do you believe that, that the Lord is a God who speaks? Come on, do you believe that? So he gave me this word which carried me through this whole process. And I believe that the Lord is able to do something similar for you today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what kind of oppression you're, you're finding at workplaces or in your, your business or in your family life. But the Lord is, is saying to you, like, hey, you found a kingdom. You know what it's all about. You know that it's all about Jesus. It's all about his kingdom. And, and it's worth everything. It's worth putting everything behind. And you know once we're willing to lay it all on the altar, that's when the Lord can really move in our lives. But we got to be willing to lay it on the altar. So maybe right now, we just, we just give it all to Him. Can we do this? Can we give our whole lives to Him? Can we place everything that we have in His hands right now? Lord, we just come to you right now. Just close your eyes. Focus your eyes on, uh, eyes on Jesus. Just let's raise, raise our hands to heaven right now. God, we come to you right now. And we declare loyalty to the King of kings and Lord of lords. God, there is no other king. There is no other, there is no other emperor. It's, it's just you, Jesus, who is our Lord, who is our king. And we give our whole life to you. We give our whole life to you, Jesus. We surrender it all to you. Every, everything that we have, everything that we are, everything that we own, we give it to you, Jesus. And we lay it on the altar, God, right now. We want to seek first the kingdom and your righteousness. And we know, Lord, that when we do this, when we put you first in our lives, that everything else will be added to us, God. And, Lord, we want to be a people that is radically, radically on fire for you, that wants to follow you wherever we go, that wants to present you and represent you wherever we go, Lord. And, God, we just give our lives to you, Jesus. Maybe we could make this real personal right now. Maybe we could all say right now, Lord, I declare loyalty to you. Just repeat it. Lord, I declare loyalty to you. I want to give my life to you. I'm giving my whole being to you. I'm giving everything that I own to you, Lord. I'm placing it in your hands, Jesus. And Lord, I'm, I'm declaring loyalty. I'm de demonstrating loyalty to you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Let's just put our hands together for the Lord.